If you spend much time in church, it doesn't take long to begin to identify various tendencies of the people around you. Different church people kind of run in different grooves. One of the grooves uh, would be the people who think they are God's gift to the church. Now, don't look around. Don't do it. But you know they're out there, right? They're probably sitting right next to you. They're God's gift to the church. And Jesus is very lucky to have these people around. And when they get home in the afternoons, they're probably thinking, what in the world did God do before I showed up? That's one group. There's another group. And this group's kind of on the other end of the spectrum. And there are more people in this group than we probably realize or care to admit. And these are the folks who think that it's probably likely that God could never use them. God could never, never, never use people in this group. Because, after all, they probably feel like they don't have the gifts. Maybe they don't have the money. Maybe they don't have the time. Maybe they have some disability. Maybe some weakness. Maybe at some point in their life, somebody just, just told them, nobody can ever do anything with you. And they've carried that around for a long time. And if no one in the room could do anything with them, certainly God can't either. If you're in that second group, I've got some good news for you today. It's good news for people in both groups, but it's especially good news for folks in the second group. The Bible has good news for you, and the good news is that Jesus uses unexpected people. Jesus uses unexpected people to build His unstoppable church. And He does it throughout history, and He does it all the time, and He does it in every case. Jesus uses unexpected people to build His unstoppable church. That's the bottom line in Matthew 16. You begin to see that because Matthew 16 is filled with unexpected people. Uh, Jesus, when He begins this movement to launch the kingdom of God, which is no small thing, He doesn't go to Jerusalem and the temple and begin to select the people with the best credentials, the people with the highest degrees, the people with the most experience, the people with the right offices. Uh, He doesn't go and get people who have long resumes, and He doesn't go and pick religious elites and temple leaders. He doesn't go after those kinds of folks. Who does He pick? He goes out by the lake and finds some blue-collar workers who are working on their fishing nets. And he actually caught a lot of flack with the power players because he didn't pick them. He didn't spend his time with them. He didn't spend his time with the right people looking to build the kingdom of God. They knew what he was up to. Jesus is going around saying, hey, kingdom of God is coming. And then the scribes and the priests are saying, well, if it's coming, shouldn't you be talking to us about that? And Jesus is like, no, I got some sinners over here that I'll go talk to them about it. And some fishermen. And the kind of people you don't want to spend time with. So Jesus, all through the Gospels, is picking the wrong people, unexpected people, unlikely people, and He's making them the centerpiece of His kingdom movement. Jesus is building an unstoppable church. He doesn't choose anyone that anyone expected. I mean, you probably put yourself in the place of the disciples when Jesus shows up. Here He is. Maybe they've heard of Him. He's a local guy. Maybe a little strange. Maybe he's kind of weird. And they know he's related to this guy, John the Baptist. And that guy's out in the desert eating bugs and talking about the kingdom of God. And now Jesus shows up talking about the kingdom of God and says, hey, follow me. 
what in the world do you want us for? We've got work to do. Jesus says, come on, I'll teach you how to fish for people. And he invites them to follow him. So when we're talking about following Jesus, when we're talking about what it means to begin taking one foot in front of the other, taking one step after the next, after the Lord Jesus, we've got to deal with this reality that Jesus is looking for the most unlikely folks. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you're unlikely in any way or unexpected, if you're the last person you think Jesus would pick, he's looking for you. He's calling and he wants you to follow him. And this is nothing new for Jesus, nothing new for God. All the way back in Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, all the way back in Deuteronomy, God says, I like to choose unexpected people. Right? He's got the people of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt, he brings them out of slavery through the Red Sea. They're very dis- How unlikely are these people? They just got rescued by God from slavery. They want to go back shortly thereafter. It's like, hey, thanks for rescuing us. They've got some tasty fruit in slavery. Can we go back? I mean, talk about unexpected folks. <laughs> and God says, no, no, come. I've got plans for you. And then he says to them in Deuteronomy 7, after they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience, unlikely people that they are, Jesus, God says to them, Deuteronomy 7, 7, it was not, here's, I didn't rescue you because you were more numerous than any other people. There's not lots of you. I wasn't looking for a big nation because you have resources and money and a national treasury and processes and politicians and court. I, did, I didn't go looking for a nation with all of that structure to change the world. It's not what I'm looking for, God says to, to them through Moses. It was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set His heart on you and chose you. In reality, you were the fewest of all peoples. There weren't very many of you. And you didn't have anything. You didn't have a president or a parliament or a king. You were slaves. And who's going to save the world with a bunch of slaves? It wasn't because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set His heart on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that He swore to your ancestors. So God says, I pick you, not because you have what it takes, not because you're highly skilled, not because you're really smart, not because there's a lot, in fact, there aren't very many of you. (laughs) I picked you because I love you. You know why God can use unexpected people to do spectacular things? Because when God sets His love on you, It transforms everything about you. When God sets His love on you, it changes everything. When He takes your heart and begins to pour His perfect love into your heart, begins to push all that imperfect stuff, all the the darkness and the shadows and the guilt and the shame and the the blackness and just the whole... Push that out. He pours His perfect love in and the the dirt gets pushed out, and he takes unlikely people with all their baggage, all of their problems, all of their weaknesses, all of their infirmities, and fills them with his perfect love. Because he loves you, he can take unlikely people and change the world. And he's been doing it for thousands of years. The Apostle Paul learned this. <laughs> Apostle Paul learned it the hard way. Now, if you can avoid learning things the hard way, that's good. But sometimes you learn them the hard way. 
In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul tells about this vision he had. At least we think it's him. He says it's this other guy, but it sounds like he's kind of talking about somebody else, but it's really like, yeah, I know this guy, wink, wink. It's really Paul. And he got caught up to the third heaven, had this vision out of the body, maybe, not really sure, but it felt weird. And heard some things I can't repeat, and we think, why did you say that? You know, don't you love when people, hey, I have a secret, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And then you want to know what it is. And here's Paul saying, hey, there's secrets in heaven, and I know them, but I can't tell you. And you want to just say, Paul, you could have just not written that. Keep it to yourself. But then he goes along, and he says, here's the thing, though. I struggle with pride. Do you know Paul said that? Pretty close to it. He says, I've got this exceptional experience and to keep me from being too elated, right? God is saying, hey, Paul, I've given you this exceptional experience, but I don't want you to think too highly of yourself. I don't want you to get too elated. And so Paul says, he gave me this thing I'm calling the thorn in my flesh. And the scholars have tried to figure this out. And there's a, all these different theories and none, nobody really knows what it is. But Paul has got some weakness, some struggling, some infirmity, some thing that's just a reminder to him that he's not all that. <laughs> this is what God does for people in that first group. Paul was in the first group, wasn't he? To keep me from being too elated. God sure is lucky, lucky to have a guy like me on the team. He was one of the elites. Remember, Paul was the guy who advanced beyond anyone else. And so when God calls people who are that kind of person, he's got to give them things like thorns in the flesh <laughs> to keep them humble. And here's what Paul concludes Here's what Jesus said to Paul, all right? Three times I appealed to the Lord, take this thorn. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it, actually? <laughs> Three times he appeals to the Lord. Won't you take this suffering away from me? Take this thorn, whatever it is, take it away. And after that, Jesus says to Paul, the Lord says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Anybody weak? You can actually raise your hand on this one if you want to. In reality, we all have weaknesses. We don't all like to admit it. Jesus says to Paul, Paul, I'm not looking for a strong person. I'm not looking for a person who's got it all going for him. In fact, if you think you're that kind of person, Paul, <laughs> I've got something special for you. Because you need to remember you're weak. Because your weakness is a theater for my power. That's the same thing God says to Israel thousands of years before, after they'd wandered in the desert. At a, I didn't pick you because you had it all together. I picked you because I love you. Hey, Paul, I didn't pick you because you were a really sharp Pharisee and I just needed somebody who could write well on the, thing, on the team. My power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Jesus uses unexpected people to build his unstoppable church let's talk about that unstoppable church for a minute first of all why is it unstoppable <laughs> the answer is very easy because jesus is doing it and anything jesus sets his mind to do cannot be stopped 
The Lord Jesus Christ cannot be thwarted. When he says to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, he doesn't mean on this rock, the pastor will build the church. He doesn't mean on this rock, the trustees will build the church. He doesn't even mean on this rock, the board will build the church. The lay leader, the bishop, on this rock, I will build my church, Jesus says. And that's, that's helpful to me. Because uh, I feel a lot of pressure to build the church sometimes. And there are days where I have to go back to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, if this were up to me, <laughs> it'd be a failure. And I'm exceedingly grateful, Lord Jesus, that the building of the church is your department. That we're going to give it our best, and you're going to have to do what it takes to make it happen. Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church. And that, friends, is a relief for all of us. We, give our, we follow him. We give ourselves to him. We surrender to him. We say, Jesus, whatever you want, yes. Yes, yes, yes to you, Jesus. Nothing held back. Jesus says, that's good. I'll build my church on that. I will build my church. It's unstoppable because Jesus will do it. You cannot thwart the one who reigns on the throne of heaven. You cannot stop the one who sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He is sovereign. He is Lord. The nations rage. The rulers plot against Him. He is unstoppable. I really like being part of an unstoppable movement. <laughs> Especially these days. Methodism, friends, and so many of you know this, is experiencing, it's chaotic out there right now. I hope you're praying for General Conference that's coming up in a couple weeks. If you're not in the loop on that, it's a global meeting of Methodist leadership to make some decisions about the future of the church over some conflict issues. I'm glad it's not their job to build the church. <laughs> it's Jesus' job to build the church. In times like this, I'm so grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ is, doing, is committed to what He's doing. That's why I'm confident that even with all of the challenges and pain and frustration and anxiety and chaos that the brightest days for the people called Methodists is ahead. Right? Because Jesus will build His church. Whatever happens in the next few weeks, we'll come out of it in a better spot. Because Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. So be faithful, church. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep following Jesus. Step after step after step. Trusting Him. Having confidence in Him. That no matter what it looks like, He will build His church. Despite our unlikelihood. Not even in spite of it, because that's just what He enjoys doing. But when the Lord Jesus Christ does it, it will be accomplished. Not even general conference can keep Jesus from building His church. He punctuates the unstoppability, if that's a word. If it's not, it is now. With this statement that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, that's a striking thing to say. It's a pretty colorful image. 
Undoubtedly, many of us have different ideas in our minds when we think about Hades, or some translations may say the gates of hell, or different things like that. In the ancient world, Hades wasn't really quite the same thing as what we think of when we think of hell. It wasn't like a lake of fire kind of deal. There was water, but it wasn't fiery water. Uh, it's just where you went when you died. Everybody, basically. Unless you're some sort of spectacular hero, when you die, you wind up in Hades, the place of the dead. Interesting thing about that is, Jesus and his disciples were quite close to what some people thought was an entrance to Hades. If you go to Caesarea Philippi, now, you'll see a stone, kind of a mountainside kind of deal. And in the mountainside are these niches that have been carved there. And when Jesus said this, there were statues in those niches, we think. And uh, a temple was built around them. A temple to Caesar and a temple to the god Pan. And inside that temple, down behind it was a cave. And if you went into that cave you could, and began to explore it, you would find water there. And people in the Greek Greco-Roman world believe that this cave was one of the entrances to Hades. This is, this is, <laughs> it's down there. This is how you get there. It's a tunnel. It's a pathway. And this is just, this is where you go. So imagine you're Peter or James or John. Or, and you're there with Jesus and you're in the neighborhood of this spectacular temple to Augustus and the powers of the Roman world, the pantheon, the gods of the Roman world, the power players, Caesar and the gods. right? And Jesus says with His blue-collar fisherman buddies, I will build My church and there's nothing that Augustus, Caesar, or His false gods can do about it. The gates of Hades, the power of death, will not be able to stop the movement I'm launching here. The gates of Hades, the place of the dead, the grave, Jesus is saying, will not be able to stop what we're up to here. And we know that's true. Because today is the Lord's day. The first day of every week we gather on the day of resurrection. We worship on Sunday because Jesus was raised on Sunday. And the resurrection means that when the gates of Hades, <laughs> the gates of death, tried to hold Jesus, they were unsuccessful. When the powers of the ancient world tried to destroy Him, they could not thwart His plans. Not even death could stop Jesus when He sets His mind to build His church. Not even death. And what looked like Defeat, what looked like failure, what looked like catastrophic loss, became the victory of God in the man Jesus Christ. Because when he went to that cross, and when he submitted himself to death, he went there in our place. Because that's what rebels deserve. Right? Deuteronomy, <coughs> idol worship, rebellion, thanks for the rescue, but no thanks after all. We'd rather go back. Jesus came to take the consequences of, what, for what, for, of our sin <laughs> on Himself. 
And it looked like loss, but it was really victory because it purchases our redemption and reconciles us to the God who made us and loves us. The God who wants to use us to build His unstoppable church. And when Jesus was raised on that first Easter day, everything changed. And the Holy Spirit came and began to fill the church with His life and power and courage and grace. And the gospel spread, didn't it? Spread all the way to Rome. Spread all the way to Alabama. <laughs> and now it's our job to take up the baton and carry it forward with the confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ will not stop it, will not allow it to be stopped. The keys that are given to Peter represent the authority and the power of that kingdom. They are emblems of the unstoppable church. So I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, all right, we've got this group of unexpected folks. We've got Jesus' commitment to build His church no matter what. It won't be stopped. What kind of person does it take to get involved in that? What does it look like? to? You know, how do unlikely people become the agents of the kingdom? Well, the answer is very simple. Follow Jesus. <laughs> That's what we're talking about these four weeks. Follow Jesus. You think He can't do anything with you? You think you don't have what it takes? The good news is you don't. I don't. None of us do. Jesus doesn't say, I hope you've got what it takes. He just says, follow me. Come on. Follow me, I'll lead the way, and I'll build the church. And I want you to be a part of the project. And we have to trust Him and love Him enough to take the next step. Whatever that looks like. And it, it's going to look different for different people. And in the next week, two weeks, we're going to talk more specifically about what concrete next steps on the path to following Jesus look like. Step one, worship. <laughs> step two, Connect with other people who follow Jesus. Step three, serve somewhere. Step four, get out there and go do some mission locally, globally. Some, there are steps, there are very practical, concrete things the Lord Jesus calls His people to do. Follow me and then do this and then do this and then do this. And trust me that I'll be there working through it every time. So what's the next step for you? You're here, you're worshiping Jesus, but maybe you've not gotten connected with a, a group of other disciples, followers who can encourage you and strengthen you and support you. And that's hard to do sometimes, honestly. Very hard to do sometimes. It takes trust. It takes other people saying, hey, there's somebody that maybe we need to connect with and help them along the way. It takes a willingness to be vulnerable. You've got to trust Jesus to be vulnerable with Christians. <laughs> That'll, you'll get that in a minute. Uh, but there's that connection piece of connecting with other people who are going to encourage you and strengthen you and build you up. We're going to get in your business when they see red flags. <laughs> Jesus wants His people to be serving. Right? The church just doesn't work if people are not getting here an hour early to 
make sure the chairs are straight or the lights are on or the doors are unlocked or communion is set up or all these different things. It doesn't happen unless people are serving. So we're going to talk about different ways in the next week or two that we can connect and serve to make sure that the church is on board with Jesus' kingdom. Jesus wants his people to go. We talked about that last week. Make disciples, disciple the nations. Step one, get up and go somewhere. Go find someone to disciple. We're doing the best we can to give you every opportunity to do that here. I was able to tell, I didn't get to tell you this last week because I didn't learn until the Sunday school hour after this, but this year, this church is doubling the number of people deployed on short-term missions. Last year, I believe, were there 18 people that went to Louisiana? 18, 19, 20 in that range. There'll be over 40 people going out on short-term missions this year from this church. In one year, we doubled the output of people saying, you know what, I'm going to go. Jesus said go, I'm going. I'm out of here. I'm going to go and find a way to encourage people around the world or across state lines and do it. You know what I want to be able to say this time next year? I want to be able to say, from last year to this year, we're doubling the number of people we're deploying on short-term missions from this church. Now, that means 80 people have to go. There's a little over 90 in the room right now. So look around and get ready. But that's what it looks like to be a part of a church that's willing to take the next step. And we can't take the next step if we aren't willing to go somewhere. You're not following Jesus if you're not going somewhere. That means uh, some folks are going to go. Everybody else is going to be praying and paying and sending. Doing that work. Be thinking about those concrete steps. Sometimes we just spiritualize everything when it comes to Christianity. It's just, just me and Jesus and we got this spiritual thing and it just happens on Sundays and maybe on Wednesdays if he's lucky. And we kind of show up and we do a little bit and everything, every other day is just a normal day. And we love Jesus and He loves us, but it doesn't really impact life. Brothers and sisters, that's not Christianity. I'm not sure what it is, to be honest with you, but it's not following Jesus. Because Jesus is a 24-7 kind of thing. All the time. He wants everything all the time. And that means we've always got to be thinking about what's my next step. What kind of person does it take to follow Jesus? It, it doesn't take anyone with any great skill, any great resources, any great wealth, any great anything. It only takes trust and a desire to follow. And He'll give that to you if you let Him. Now sometimes, the next step is the first step. Because there's two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of people who need to take the next step following Jesus because they've been following Him for a long time. But then there's a whole group of people who've never taken the first step to follow Jesus. And sometimes the next step in following the Lord Jesus Christ is step number one. And I'm wondering, are there anybody in the room right now that the Lord is saying, hey... Time to take the first step. And so I want to invite us, maybe let, let's just spend some time praying. And Ty's going to come, he's going to play the last song, and 
What I'm hoping is that if you've been following Jesus and you've been taking them step after step, whether it's been a year, or two years, 20 years, or 60 years, be praying that the Lord will show you the next step and be praying that if there's somebody in the room who needs to take the first step, that they'll, the Lord will give them the grace to do that. Can you do that for me right now? And that way, if there's someone in the room that needs to take the first step, you know you got people praying for you right now. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and is saying, hey, today's the day. Step one, following Jesus. Maybe you want to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thanks be to God. I've been far from you. I've run from you. I've held you at arm's length. Today I want to surrender. I want to say yes. I want to take the first step. I want to be a follower. I give thanks that you gave your life that I may have life. Give thanks that you took the consequences of my sin on yourself. And with that heart of gratitude, I commit to following you today.